Chapter Eight of Frey and His Wife by Maurice Henry Hewlett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Gunnar in the forest hears tell of Frey and his wonders. The course of the snow slope brought Gunnar to rocks and a precipice from a gorge, in which descended a river of ice. Far below him he heard the thunderous crash of water, and judged that in following that, if it could be done, he would find his best chance of guiding his way through the forest. The river would join another. That other must in time reach the sea. So he determined to do so, but it was easy talking. It took him the best part of a day to get down the cliff. He spent a miserable night crouched under a rock, and started off again in the morning, almost fasting. There was coarse grass now growing wherever there was hold for it. In one of these he saw a white hare lying flat, and by a trick he knew he fell his length upon her, and secured her. He had no fire, and made what he could of her raw and sinewy flesh. So replenished, he went on his downward course, reached the waterfall bathed in sweat, and followed it as nearly as might be, down into the chill and silence and darkness of the forest. Day and night were alike to him now. For a time whose duration he took no pains to guess at, he worked his way downwards, a more fearful toil, with more peril in it than any he had spent in climbing the ridge. This great forest was untouched by the hand, unvisited by the foot of man so far as he could understand. He saw no living thing, though high above him he sometimes heard the battling of wings, and once or twice hoarse cries, which he judged must come from the air. He listened for wolves or foxes, but heard none. He kept his eyes aware for the track of roe-deer or bear, but vainly. All was silent and accursed. Except on the banks of the torrent there was little vegetation to be seen, for among the pine stems the needles lay close and deep upon the ground, and nothing could live in such a soil, or in such a chill and dank air. Whither he went, or how far he had come, he knew not. For all his steadiness of heart the conviction turned him sick, that if he did not soon meet with men there would be one man less in the world. Better to have been hanging on a green tree in the warm and living air, than to slowly fritter away into corruption, and become bleached bones here in the dark and cold. He looked back with wistfulness to such a genial death. Sigurd would have piled a cairn for me. He would have grieved for me, and said prayers to his new god in the king's new temple. Well, hanging is a man's death, as battle is. But to fight the dark, to grow weak by chill and hunger, to be so lonely that not a raven troubles about your dead eyes, this is a death for wolves, but not for men who love to lie snug among their fellows. These were his thoughts at the worst. At the best he felt that before long he must hit upon a sign of life. He was now on level ground, and true it was that he came at last upon a clearing. A broad green road ran on either side of a ford in the river. Here he stood, and looked up at the blue sky, and saw how the sun made the tree-tops seen cut out of gold. He forgot his emptiness, his loneliness, and dark forebodings. Oh, now I see that the sun is a god who loves men. As if that was true, and he was to be assured of it, a shaft of sunlight struck the ford, and turned his eyes that way. It clarified the water, and brought the stones into sight. Presently he saw a better thing, a goodly fish, lay in the deeper part, faintly swaying its tail. Gunnar made a wide cast over the river, and crawled up the bank on his belly. 
he lay motionless, watching his prey, and then, inch by inch, approached his hand to the belly of the fine fish. Inch by inch he went upwards to the head, and then, judging his time, snapped his fingers together into the gills, and jerked him out of the water. Here truly was a prize awarded him by the sun. The fish was good eating. He ate him all but the head and bones. Now he must decide what to do, whether he should follow the river or the road. If he followed the road, by which hand should he be guided? He was not long in deciding the first issue. The sun and the sky were too dear to him to be lost again. For the second, he was for following the sun, which was high in the heavens. If it was noon, the road which ran into the sun would lead him into the south. On the south also was the sea. Besides all that, there was to be said that the road had been cleared by men, and must lead to the dwellings of men. Strong in this assurance, he went briskly along a good green track. Now he could tell night from day, now he saw birds flying overhead. Presently a fox trotted across the way in front of him, saw him, and sat up to watch. He barked shortly, once or twice, and then galloped into the thicket. But Gunnar felt enheartened by the sight of him. After that he heard wolves howling afar off, as their custom is at sunset. But the great event of all was on the next day, when he saw two things, one after the other, which made his heart beat. The first was a dog, which the moment he caught sight of him pelted away up the track, with his tail clapped to his hinder parts. The second was a young woman. As he came round a curve in the road, she was standing in the middle of it, at a bowshot's distance. She was very pale, black-haired, short-kirtled, and barefoot. He stopped immediately to watch, but at that moment she saw him and slipped among the trees. Gunnar ran with all his might. He called, he shouted. No answer. He couldn't find her anywhere. No matter. Sweden was inhabited. He would not die lonely. His heart was high, to be sure of that, and he went on rejoicing. Next he came to an open place, a clearing in the trees where men had lately been. He saw the ashes of their fires, bones, the skin of a goat. He saw leaves and branches which had been slept upon. He saw the prints of hooves, ponies or donkey's hooves. So he journeyed on, and at last smelt the friendly smell of burning wood. "'Now to accost the Swedes,' he said. "'What will they make of me? Or I of them?' Guided by the smell, it was not long before he saw men about a great fire. There may have been eight of them there. They looked black, and he knew that they were charcoal burners, which in fact they were. Taking his life in his hands, he went directly towards them, and when they saw him, and scrambled to their feet in amazement, he lifted his hand in greeting, and came among them. They were cooking over their fire, a great pot was bubbling, their dogs came smelling about his calves, but they themselves stood speechless where they were. "'Do these blacks intend my death?' he asked himself. He hoped not, but did not draw the sword." Seeing that they did not move, and that their very dogs had now withdrawn themselves and were barking uneasily at a distance, Gunnar advanced with friendly gestures. Hereupon the men, with one accord, fell to their knees and stooped to their bodies until their faces touched the earth. "'Good souls, they take me for a god,' he thought. He was now fairly within the line of them, and stretching his hands over the fire. The smell from the pot tickled his nostrils and brought water into his mouth. How long was it since he had tasted cooked food? It was too much for him. Forgetting the dangers of manhood and the honours of Godhead alike, he fished into the pot for a morsel, sat down, and began to eat. He found himself ravenous, and in good case to better himself. 
he might have eaten the contents of the pot but that by cautious degrees the charcoal burners began to consider him he found bright eyes peering at him from between sooty fingers finally one bolder than the rest lifted his head and fairly asked him if he were a man or a god he spoke hoarsely but could be understood friend gunnar said you may see by my procedure that i am a man and a hungry one though not now so hungry as i was the man at this punched his neighbour by the side and said up for this is a man like ourselves presently they were all up and about him very curious you come from afar off you are not of this country whence then do you come gunnar said that he was from norway they had never heard of norway one of them said that he had lived all his days in the forest country and had never seen a stranger before gunnar pointed to the west norway he said lay over there beyond the mountains they replied that he must be mistaken because on the level of the mountains was a great lake of snow and water in which the sun dropped every night and was quenched with a furious hissing they said that you could hear it when the wind came that way and that the mountain tops were covered with steam thrown up by the dying sun which sometimes stayed there for days at a time and yet gunnar said every day the sun comes up again how do you account for that they said that was easy to understand for the lake had no bottom therefore the sun dropped through and when it had emerged kindled again upon its flight through the air and this went on for ever gunnar said you tell me marvellous things now let me tell you some so he spoke of norway and iceland and of the great ocean beyond orkney and of ireland and the poets and holy men there then he went on to talk of the inland sea where there were no tides but only rushing currents and whirlpools and desperate storms lastly he spoke of micklegarth and of a sea beyond that again which is called the black sea and of the terrible folding rocks which are on the edge of that to all of this they listened with open mouths when they inquired what had brought him into sweden he frankly told them how it was they said that he was safe enough here and that nobody would do him any harm few men fight here they said the worst that may happen to you is that you will go into the cage and be offered up to frey but that is reckoned an honourable way of death you serve frey and you serve frey's people and you may be sure that frey won't forget it it may be true gunnar said that frey won't forget me but we know very little about frey never having seen him at any time and for my part i should not care to risk it they all looked at him in wonder but said one of them everybody has seen frey i assure you said gunnar that i have not for one and i'll answer for every man in norway we know nothing of the norwegians of whom we hear for the first time he was told but the people of this part have good reason to know frey and to fear him seeing he lives among them and is now a day's and night's journey from here i myself the speaker said saw him but fourteen days ago in his holy place what is his holy place the man said it is his temple where he lives when he is not upon his rounds all the winter he lives there with his wife and the people worship him and make feasts for him but when the winter is over and the rains come to wash the world clean for the sun frey goes off in his wagon and visits all the villages in turn and blesses the grain and makes it fertile that is how the world goes on and men get food for their plains gunnar was amazed do you say that frey has a wife i do say so since it is true but as yet she is not fruitful which vexes frey let frey consider himself said gunnar it is not always a wife's fault if she is not fruitful 
"'You may be sure that the fault is not Frey's,' they said. "'I am not at all so sure,' said Gunnar. "'Does Frey do his duty by her?' They said, "'For certain he does. He has been married to her these two years.' "'There's time yet,' said Gunnar. "'These are early days. Is she a young woman?' "'She is in the flower of her age. She must be sixteen years old.' "'And is she of this country?' "'It is not certainly known. A woman from the south had her. She said that her husband had been slain on the sea-coast. But no one here can say anything of it, because no one has ever seen the sea. Well, when the girl was of marriageable age, Frey chose her, so she was given him. And how did Frey choose her? He took her.' Gunnar thought all this very remarkable, and said that he should himself go to see Frey. They answered to that, that undoubtedly he would, for if he did not they would be bound to take him, as an offering, since that was Frey's pleasure. "'Does Frey demand human sacrifice?' Gunnar asked. They said that he did. Gunnar said, "'He shall be balked of me, but I have a very handsome cloak about me, which I shall give him as a present, if he pleases to be benevolent to me.' "'All depends upon his wife,' they told him. "'She has the power of choice in these matters.' Gunnar said, "'Leave me to deal with Frey's wife. I have a way with women.' End of chapter 8